hear these words for you this morning from the preacher Luke, for this is the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Well, over 50 years ago, Becky uh, Piper was laying in her backyard. She grew up in a home that uh, faith and, and religion and, and all those things, they, they were non-existent. They, they weren't present for her there. She, she talks about how there wasn't a Bible in her room, let alone in the house anywhere. But she had begin, began to investigate religion, began to investigate the things of, of deities, uh, of various religions, in part because of things she, she had uh, discussed and, and learned about in a philosophy class. And so she was laying in her backyard and, and she was observing some ants that were building an anthill. And every now and then she'd place a twig or a a, a leaf in the middle of the hole of the anthill and suddenly the, the ants would start making the hill around the, around the leaf and there'd be maybe two hills now and then she'd do it again and there'd be three. And she started to wonder as, as a couple of ants uh, crawled up on her hand what those ants were talking about maybe. Maybe one of them was like, I, want, I need to let you know I believe in, in, in Becky. And the other ant would say, well, how can you believe in Becky? Becky doesn't exist. And the ant could say, well, well look at all this stuff, and, and how, could we, how could we possibly have created a leaf like that on our own? Well, the leaf is just there, the other ant would say. And so she started to think to herself, how could she get these two ants to believe in, in Becky? You know, she could flick one of them off her, off her hand, but that wouldn't say anything about, about Becky being this, this thing bigger than, than ants, this thing high above them, because that's what she was trying to get at, this, this understanding of something above her, something beyond, her, beyond her, her capability of understanding, let alone being able to, to meet on an, on an equal footing. But flicking the ant off wouldn't, wouldn't say anything. It would just say, well, life is hard, life is dangerous, and sometimes ants disappear. She could move her hand around, blow on them, whatever. They could say, well, it's an earthquake or it's wind or, or whatever the case may be. And so Becky was thinking to herself, well, I would become an ant. 
And I'd live among the ants, and I I would demonstrate my power as something that is non-ant-like in their midst, that the ants might believe in her as the Becky, as, as Becky. And with that thinking, suddenly she felt compelled to to look more closely at Christianity for some reason. And she got a hold of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and, and the rest is history. And she wrote a, wrote a book out of the Salt Shaker, uh, uh, evangelism book, and she worked for Campus Crusade and InterVarsity and all those things. But you sit there and you hear her tell the story, and you go, what a way to tell the story of Christ. Christ being one who, who takes on flesh, the God who had spoken so many times previously, who'd spoken so much in the Old Testament, spoken so much to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. God that always speaks. And we, and we tend to downplay the speaking portion of God because we want God to be one that either hears us and does our bidding or a God that does some sort of miracle in and amongst us to save us from ourselves, usually... But his word means something. He's a speaking God. That's how he created everything in the first place. All you have to do is think of back in the day in the midst of a a, a monarch, an authoritarian figure. They, They speak, it becomes law, and it's done. The same with how God works for us. A speaking God, pronouncing things such as promises to you in your ear that you might know that they're true. So God comes to earth as the one thing he can do as the word to proclaim to us the promises. That is Christ, the word and promises of God made flesh to speak to you, to his creation, to us. And we know him for his miracles. We know him for the cross. We know him for the manger. But he, he regularly says that he has come to speak. He's come to, to preach. That is the reason why he, he came, to preach the good news. The miracles were there just to, to back up that what he said about himself was true. Well, Ascension Day is that point in, in, the, in the church calendar in which it's, it's halftime between what Christ did and has completed, and the Spirit coming to empower us to take what it is that he has said and done out to the rest of the world. The Ascension Day being the the picture of the incarnation of what it was supposed to be doing there, of Christ taking on flesh, had fulfilled its purpose. It had been a long work day for Jesus. He was in need of, of a Sabbath, and so it was time for him to go and rest the right hand of the Father on that throne. But before he goes, it says that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. To understand that all those times that God was speaking in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that those things were fulfilled and then specifically telling them of of, of how. He says in verses 46 and 47 that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And then he says, oh, by the way, because of that, I'm going to make you into preachers, he says to the apostles and to you. Because he talks about repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed or preached in the name of the Messiah, in Christ's name, to all the nations. Ascension 
The ascension of Christ completes the work of God in Jesus. Christ goes up to sit on that throne, showing that that he is God and I am not, just as as Becky wanting the ants to know that she's Becky and they they are are not. And, And Christ sits up there high above everything else, which includes being high above our sin, being high above death, and being high above the devil. That he sits over them, having power over them, granting forgiveness of sin, raising the dead and defeating the devil, as Luther would want us to confess. He's returning to where he was at the beginning with the Father. He tells us so many times in the Gospels so that he might come again to get us. That would be John 14. But then also he does this to make way for the Spirit. Think of it this way. God comes to earth as, as Jesus and he puts on flesh. He becomes a human being. The story of Christ is, this, is, is God being the actor in the midst of our salvation. He is the one who does the active portions of all of it, putting on flesh that he might preach and teach and, and be present in the midst of his people to suffer with them, to suffer for them, to die and to rise to prove that he has power over sin and death. But also as the human being, Jesus could not necessarily be in Galilee and Jerusalem at the same time. People had to come to him. Crowds had to follow him around. Well, here what ends up happening is Christ ascending makes way for the Spirit, makes way for the the picture from the opening chapters of the book of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel is speaking to those in exile And he gives this picture of the throne of God with wheels and being able to go wherever it wants to and eyes all over it. So God is seeing anything and and everything in the midst of the world. And and Ezekiel is preaching this to those that are in exile that have been ripped away from that place that was called the promised land, from, from the temple where God said his name was going to dwell. And Ezekiel proclaims this to say, no, God is with you here, even in the darkness, even in the pain of exile. And so it is with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being present with us now, just as it was yesterday at this time with you, just as it will be a few hours from now. But the Holy Spirit comes in order to make you into a preacher. He gives you the sermon. The Messiah comes as Christ incarnate flesh and blood, suffers, dies, rises. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins proclaimed in his name. Forgiveness coming because Jesus says so. But then also the Holy Spirit brings its work to open our minds to understand the scriptures, that we might understand these things more fully, be able to proclaim them more more clearly, but also to understand God as still being God and God being everywhere And now God has a name, not just God, but Jesus. Now the fear for us is that the absence of God, which which we can often see in the ascension because Jesus leaves, the absence of God can cause us some, some hiccups. Because we tend to look at church as an experience. We tend to look at church as something that moves us, that gives us warm fuzzies, that, that causes us to 
be overwhelmed with emotion, whatever that might be, leaving, leaving uplifted from a church service or, or being in love with Jesus all over again, being empowered by the Spirit, whatever it might be. But the one, one of the few things that Boston, the, the band, not the city, got right, Tom Schultz, more than a feeling, he writes in there, I looked out this morning and the sun was gone, turned on some music to start my day. I lost myself in a familiar song. I closed my eyes and slipped away. It's more than a feeling. When I hear that old song they used to play and I began, to, began dreaming till I see Marianne walk away. I see Marianne walking away. Now that seems harmless. Because music does that for us, right? It causes us to think of some things. But then he says, so many people have come and gone, their faces fade as the years go by, yet I still recall as I wander on as clear as the sun in the summer sky, it's more than a feeling. That in that music, there was something more than just the warm fuzzies that that, that person would give. There was something more that, that was substantiated in that relationship. Because people come and go. What it is that we want of normalcy, especially right now in the midst of this pandemic, that comes and that goes. Even love can come and go because people change, they move on, they harm us even. Well, just as for Boston, music fit into a place in which it was more than just a feeling. There was something of substance there, something of power. So too it is in God, a truth of God's existence for you, that it is that even as we are the ants, and God, in some ways, is Becky, not really. Spirit and the Word are there for you as God who speaks to you, who wants you to hear His voice, to know this truth that no matter where you go, God is God for you, that Christ stands for you. He, he's sitting on that throne for you as your intercessor, your advocate saying to his father, look, daddy, what I, what I brought for you, these, these sinners that I have, I've saved, this work that I have done. And it is now this work of the Spirit in our midst, both in the church and outside of it, to make sure that message gets in our ears, that truth gets in our ears, that sermon be preached into us, that it, that it becomes more than just a feeling. It becomes this, this certainty of Christ being enough for us in one way or another. We have some young people that are graduating this year. They've already have, either from college or from high school. And it's a weird time for them because they're not able to have the graduation that all their predecessors had. Having that taken away from them, quote-unquote. But the reality is, is that those that graduated, they still got the degree. They still got the diploma. They're still moving on to college, moving on to the workforce, moving on to graduate school. Because 
regardless of what this pandemic has done to, to rob us of our, our, our rights, to, to rob us, that's R-I-T-E-S, by the way, or a rob us of our ceremonies, rob us of the things that, that give us that warm feeling of, look what I accomplished. It can't take away the fact that our graduates have succeeded in what it is that they set out to do, and no one can steal that from them. So too it is. Christ ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father to prove that what he has done for you is true, and no amount of emotion or feeling can take that away from you. And now we continually wait for him to return. And while we wait, the Spirit speaks that we might know of what he has done for us. And with that, we say thanks be to God. Amen.